Well, hello, White Sox fans. It is January 28th. Welcome to another edition of Future Sox. My name is Ian Eskridge. Joining me tonight is the managing editor of Future Sox, James Fox. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? Not too bad. Can't complain. Um, yeah, a bunch of interesting stuff this week. So um, pretty pretty stoked about that. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. The Fangraphs Top 27 was launched this week. The Fangraphs is interesting. I think there was a lot of, like, some of the Chris Getz audio from 670 was interesting. Some of the things Bruce Levine has said have been interesting, followed by our friend Bob Nightingale earlier today. So, I, I you know, I do think there's, you know, quite a bit of stuff we can get into. And then there's uh, John Schriffen, right? It's going to be tough for people, I think. They think <laughs> that is. People keep saying Mich- Michaela Schifrin. That's not who this is. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is that wrong, wrong guy. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's uh, go ahead and start with that. So the White Sox uh, introduced um, ESPN and Good Morning America's John Schriffen as the new play-by-play voice of TV for the White Sox. Uh, he will be joining Steve Stone in the broadcast booth. Um, how how do you feel about uh, the choice that was made? Uh, we know that it was down to three. Candidates, uh, Connor McKnight, um, hometown guy, being one of those three. Uh, how did you feel about the decision? I think it's fine. I think it makes more sense. Like after kind of hearing the guy, right, and you hear that he's biracial, and you know, I know a lot of people don't really care about that, but it is something Jerry Reinsdorf actually does care about. So you know, I kind of saw that and was like, okay, um, you know, he's like a New York guy, so that's interesting. I mean, like Chicago isn't always super like kind to outsiders right so i think he did a good job of like admitting that right he's like yeah, i'm from new york i want to like ingratiate myself to this but he didn't come in thinking he like knew a bunch about the city which which i think is good he was pretty self-deprecating i've heard some of his calls i'm sure he'll be fine um you know and if he's enough of a homer most of the fan base will love him i'm sure so i think it you know i, I think it's fine um he probably works cheap is my guess so but you know, there he did make it uh make it known this is like he this is his like primary job, which seemed like a big deal for Jerry Reinsdorf and Brooks Boyer this time around. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard some calls from him, uh mostly football stuff. Um he does have a very excitable um thing, but uh one of the things I I don't know if you heard the uh uh Parkins and Spiegel interview with him um he says that he likes to make sure that it's a, a relevant thing so he doesn't lose credibility which is a nice uh you know a, a nice thought right now as we're trying to figure out exactly what we're getting uh you know i we've i've heard some xfl calls heard uh, slam ball i've heard a couple of other things um i don't know uh i'm kind of interested to see how it uh, how it goes we'll see um yeah, I'm 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 optimistic about it. We'll see what uh see what happens here. Um also, uh I figure we'll stick with uh some of the team stuff that happened that got uh announced this week, which is that uh Soxfest will be coming back for 2025. Um some people think it's a big deal, some people are kind of just whatever about it. Uh, what? Do you, how do you feel about uh, Soxfest coming back finally? Yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I thought Soxfest was cool. Like the couple of years, you know, I didn't really understand 
Soxfest um, until so I went a couple years when I I got credentialed for Future Socks and I was still with Sausage Socks at the time. So I went two years in a row like with a media pass and it was pretty cool because you can go kind of everywhere. Um, and that was right around when you know the last time they had it, like they they had all the prospects around and we were Future Socks, so it was cool. And you know I talked to Nick Hostetler for twenty minutes and. You know, like Michael Kopech was there with his then fiance, and like you know, times times were good the last time they had Sox Fest. So, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of made the comment that like, oh, the White Sox are gonna commit to spending next year, and they'll have like a stadium announcement. Otherwise, they wouldn't do this. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I do think it'll be a twenty year anniversary of the '05 team for sure. You know, like, I don't think they're going to want to be totally embarrassing, right? Like, after, like, another 60-win season and hold Sox Fest. So, that is one, you know, like, maybe. And their payroll, like, I was talking to some buddies earlier today. I mean, if you look at next year's payroll, I mean, like, it could be $40 million going into the offseason. So, you know, I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf is going to go on some mega spending spree, but the team should be quite different by then. Yeah, you would hope. I mean, uh, we've seen, you know, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, we'll see if he opens up the pocketbook. You know, I, I don't think that he won't because, like you said, the payroll could be very, very low going into next year, uh, depending on who he retains and who he lets go. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. I know that they wanted to get in on the, uh, the anniversary of the 2005 World Series championship. So, I don't know. Um, we'll see. You know where where it goes. I can't I can't imagine there'll be too much. Uh, I have to imagine that most fans will be happy that there is a Sox Fest back and the ability to be able to go and uh, do what the season ticket holders did the other night at the Field Museum and go hang out with some of the players and uh, get your pictures taken with them and all that. So yeah, even though some of those play, I mean, you look at some of those pictures. You know, you couldn't even convince me some of those guys were actually, like, White Sox players. It's like, oh, this is just, like, some random guys that they met at the school, like, outside, and they threw White Sox jerseys on them. Like, I would have—you could have paid me money to pick some of the guys, like, out of a lineup, and there's no way I could have done it. Yeah, it's—I had a a friend send me a picture earlier today, and uh, she said, is it bad that I don't know who this is, looking back on it? (laughs) It was a picture of her and Jake Eater. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, yeah, no, I get it, you know. Um, You know, know, they showed the uh, the picture of uh, some of the guys at a a youth center earlier this week, and it was this Mm -hmm. lineup of guys that had uh, Nicky Lopez and Andrew Benintendi and Paul DeJean. But then there's this other line of guys, like kind of in the middle – of those guys and uh, you had Brian Ramos in there, but then there was a bunch of other guys that people were just like, I don't know who any of those people are. And it was uh, Mike Soroka mm-hmm. and Jake Eater and Nestrini and a couple of the other guys. And uh, you know, I know who these guys are, but like m- most people have absolutely no idea who the heck they are. So, um, you know, well, I think the comes- biggest standout was Benintendi, right? Cause he's so small. Like Benintendi is a tiny person. Yeah, he's not he's not very large. And then, uh, you know, you also had a couple pictures put up of Max Stasi Stasi on on social media as well. And everybody's like, mm-hmm. who is that? Nobody yeah. has any idea. I know. So, it's interesting. So even like, yeah, it's interesting. So people are I think are going to be excited about Soxos. I, I think I tweeted snarkily like one of my favorite things about it is that now we don't have to hear like media complain that like they're ducking out from Sox Fest because 
look, I don't know that that's been the whole reason this whole time. I, some of it is space, right? Like, they, I don't know. Like, they, they've never been afraid to hear our criticism. They don't care. Like, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care what we think. Like, people are like, oh, he doesn't want to hear from us. Like, I really don't think it's that because they don't, they don't really care. Like, they've, like, even Kenny and Rick would stand up there and take their arrows, like, in bad seasons and just kind of shrug it off and, part of the gig like they got a great job right so i really don't think it was screw our fans like we don't want to hear from them i think they just don't you know have the most well-run organization and for whatever reason they like weren't prepared to hold it and now they're going to start holding it again yeah it'll be it'll be you know i'm interested to see like uh, where where it ends up getting held and um i know that some people were not too thrilled about the mccormick place set up and all that. So I'm curious to see what they do with it next year. See where they, see where they hold yeah. it. Um, I was not, yeah, I didn't really like that. The McCormick play. It was just, it's just too big for white Sox fest. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what the perfect location is. Maybe like Reggie's and everybody crams in. No, I don't know. But you know, it's I, not as, you know, not McCormick place. You know, they used to have it at the, what the Hilton, um that wasn't bad that was fine yeah no that was fine yeah yeah so i don't know if they could do that again but you know quickly before we move on to some of the players i wanted to ask you just in regards to john schriffen i did it right again i think where he makes note of the fact that like he knows like that white Sox fans are passionate and that there's lots of blogs and podcasts is that a good or a bad thing ian i don't know (laughs) you know he took the he took the job still so yeah, seen, I think he's he's probably seen some of my tweets, I think. Yeah, I would think that that, you know, just looking at social media, you can tell that there's a, a loud um, bunch of people on Twitter and uh, in the blog and, uh, you know, stream slash uh, podcast area. So, I mean, it's good that he's aware of it, I suppose. I You know, I just... You know, I don't imagine anybody, you know, at this point is going to uh, really get on him. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it how it goes as the uh, as the games go. You know, I mean, social media here in Chicago can eat people up um, if they if they look at it too much, you know, because, you know, you see see him uh, go on a block spree like Steve Stone. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I just think I mean, it also like lends itself to like the beat right like I, I just think like blogs have always kind of been necessary because lots of outlets in this city like just decide to not cover the white Sox. and look maybe some of that's rightfully so like they do their own numbers they know who's reading what right it was the whole thing behind james fegan like james fegan was awesome yep. but if the athletic determines that like not enough white Sox fans care about reading his awesome content like you know that's what happens right there were i remember during the rebuild i was writing at Southside Sox and like covering prospects and like sometimes the tribune wouldn't even like send somebody to cover the white Sox game. You know, I mean, it's just, they've gone through periods of this, like the Cubs have multiple awesome writers in town, like at different outlets it, you know, it's just one of those things. So I think the blogs kind of took over as like the, the voice for the fans. And we just have a lot more than I think other cities do. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you know, from where I was coming from, you know, like that's kind of how I started the whole thing um, of what I was doing because nobody was doing it. And, um, you know, I, that I kind of always felt this way that the, the White Sox kind of always got the short end of the stick 
when it came to coverage from all of the major uh, publications and, uh, you know, national media and everything. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there is a community of, you know, bloggers and podcasters and streamers that are all dedicated to the White Sox just simply due to the fact that there is so little coverage from, you know, the mainstream media here in Chicago, which is sad, but at the same time, you know, like that's, that's why we're here. So. Yeah. I feel like they just got to win, right? If they win, they'll be covered. And it, you know, it is kind of what it is. So I listen to a lot of sports radio. I know those guys get a lot of criticism at times for, Oh, you guys only talk Cubs or whatever. But like when the White Sox are good and interesting, like they talk socks all the time. Like I've just always kind of thought that was crazy, but you know, like it is what it is when they're, when they're boring. You know, there, there's other stuff. It's a big city, and it's yeah. twenty four, and it's twenty four seven Bears. So yeah, that was that was what I was gonna say is that no matter when you turn on, you know, any of the sports radio in this city, you're gonna hear about the Bears for I don't know, probably ninety five percent of it. So um, I don't know. At least that's just the way it seems to me. Every time I turn on the radio, it's Bears this, Bears that. Who who are they taking with the first pick? Is Justin Fields sticking around? I mean, it's just been like. Uh, an onslaught for like the last like nine, 10 months, yeah. just about that, you know, yeah. particular situation. So, um, speaking of winning, uh, before I forget, I want to congratulate Ozzy Guillen on winning the Venezuelan, uh, championship down there with the, uh, Tiburones. So, uh, that's pretty cool. Nice to see, uh, you know, him getting uh championship still, um, you know, maybe he'll end up back in the major leagues at some point. It would be, you know, a nice uh, a nice story for him to make his way back after a while. So uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. I feel like the league, what the major league baseball would be better with Ozzy, but White Sox post game would be worse. I think. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, he. I mean, he. You know, I I I like I like Chuck, um, and and Frank and Pods and. All the other guys that that hop in on that uh, post game, pre game show, but without Ozzy, it would definitely be a uh, less exciting product for sure. Yeah, he's great at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's I think it's rare too, right? That like somebody's like World Series winning manager is now like doing post game. I don't know. I'd just be curious to know like somebody of that impact you know, like for a franchise, like if that's just like your postscape guy in, in these other cities, I would think, no, probably not. Yeah. Um, I'm going to uh, take 20 seconds here to do something real quick, uh, just because I know that I need to do it and I don't want to have double audio with your mic. So give me one second here. Lean with that one and we will do monitor and output for that one all right so um chris Getz made an appearance on uh inside the clubhouse on uh, 670 the score uh on saturday morning um there were a couple of things that he talked about uh one of which being the thing that is mentioned in fan graphs specifically uh in the top 27 of fan graphs uh talking about a possible change in the international method that they use to sign players and to uh, bring players in. 
you have any thoughts on that before I pop on uh, Chris's uh, audio on that? Yeah, so I mean, I hope it's true. Like, I think it was very, like, it was welcome, just something to hear, I think, just that, I mean, they need to change the strategy. I think we kind of talked about this the first week that we did this together, right? They'd be holding money for older Cubans um, instead of spending all their money on teenagers, and it's, like, something that needs to change. I hope it's something that Chris gets has definitely recognized and can do something about. I guess my biggest question at this point would be, like, is Marco Patti the guy to do that? And we've talked about his positives and some of the negatives. I don't really know what Marco Patti's philosophy is or what he would truly like to do if he were unencumbered. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. I think, you know, I think we'll touch in future weeks on just the scandal that's going on in the Dominican Republic, and we can see if that's, like, affected the White Sox at all. They haven't announced any Dominican signings. Um, I was told there are five or six, but, I mean, until those things are announced, I don't really know. So, you know, you, we could go pretty deep on this if we wanted to. We could probably save it for a future episode, but I'm glad David Haw asked him about it. He kind of dodged it, but, you know, we'll see. I, there's no reason to not trust Eric Wagenhagen if that's what was written. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously they haven't released any of the names that uh, were mentioned in that report. Uh, I think it was, uh, was that Hector Gomez that put that up? I believe so. Uh, I didn't see any names uh, associated with it, so I'm not entirely sure. You know, hopefully it's not anything that affects the White Sox, but we shall see. Um, I'll go ahead and bring up that audio. Now, in regards to our international process, you know, we, we have converted on some really high-profile players that, that that certainly on our major league club. You know, with, with some of the adjustments along the way, it's really just an emphasis on on some of our pitching that goes with on the development side as, as well as acquiring certain pitchers that we feel like we can really help and improve their game. Um, so it's, it's kind of a deeper infrastructure statement and, and um, process more than anything. And, and we've really done well in, in emphasizing certain things done at our academy and our lower minor leagues to really welcome some of the international players um, who, who have the attributes to be uh, successful, you know, down the road in their professional careers. So I don't know if you heard, did you hear any of that at all, James? I mean, I know that you heard it live when, when it was on. Um, yeah. Not anything that's uh, really all that, uh, that ground shaking really. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, one of those things where it's like, it's not really telling you anything. But it's saying that they probably are changing the ways they're, the way they're doing things. Yeah, and I mean, like, like David Haw kind of left him the out, right? Like, I'm glad he asked it, but w- he asked the Robert thing too. So I think, like, when you do that, like, he'll just answer the Robert thing, and then you know you're not going to really follow up. I, I, I we'll find out. I mean, I think there were some changes. I will say, um, and I don't know if like this part's going to get played at all, but you know, he he was. Um, I guess very positive, like about Mike Shirley, right? Um, by name, like mentioned him as the, you know, director of amateur scouting. I don't think Marco's name, you know, Marco's name wasn't really brought up. So it was not, you know, yeah, right. So, so that's interesting. Um, and Shirley actually does have like a real title. Marco doesn't. So th- I don't know. This is just like something I'm keeping an eye on. I don't, I don't really know what, what they're going to do going forward, but I mean, like changing the strategy. I mean, we've talked about this. Like, they, like they probably have at least verbal agreements with kids for like twenty twenty seven. You know, so I mean, a real change doesn't really take place for a while. 
because a lot yeah. of the a lot of the big boys are are committed essentially you know yeah it's you know that that whole system and uh i don't know if you saw the other uh tweet that uh hector gomez tweeted out as part of that as kind of a thread uh talking about the possibility of a international draft and just the the distrust coming from the locals uh, in, in the Dominican and Cuba towards the major league, you know, major league baseball about going into a draft because they feel like they're going to lose money. And, you know, I, I'm sure yeah. a bunch of things will change with that, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, that whole thing is going to take a while to unfold. I think I'm kind of stunned that they don't have the international draft. Like I thought it was going to pass in the, in the last CBA and the players didn't go for it, but I do think like the mock-up for it was a pretty good deal. And look, it's never going to go back to the old ways. Like, you know, when the Red Sox signed Yohan Moncada, you got $30 million, right? Like the system is already so hard capped as it is that an international draft, I think is actually better because players will get, I think players will get more money because I think your top players are still going to get the same, right? Like the most anybody can get is 5 million ish, like right around there, $5 million. Like, I bet the top, you know, I bet it's similar to the MLB draft, but not quite as much, right? Like, your top couple picks will get five, six million, and then everybody else will get paid throughout. You won't have these kids signing for $30,000 necessarily. So, like, I actually think it's better. You know, I do think there there's people on the other side, like David Ortiz and others, who say, like, it's fine like this. Kids get to pick their team. That's a big part of it, you know? So, I don't know. I don't know how you stop the rampant corruption because like Major League Baseball clearly turns a blind eye to this and they just kind of pretend like they don't know that it's going on, even though all of their writers are like, oh, yeah, these, I mean, we've talked about it here. We're just, you know, doing this, whatever. It's like, we know, we know what this is. Like, guys are signing at 14, like in their verbal agreements. Everybody knows. So, like, what are, what are we doing? And then they say, oh, well, they really don't sign until signing day. Okay, sure, you know, so... Yeah, it's it, it was even even as subtle as I think I know you saw this like MLB.com didn't even release the teams early this year. Like usually they they do their big board where it's like guy is expected to sign here, expected to sign here. These are the favorites, but it's always that team. They just, you know, couch it with that sort of language. Jesse Sanchez didn't even do that this year. Fangraphs and, and B.A. did, but MLB Pipeline did not expected uh for three years expected um like you said you know when these kids are you know making agreements at 14 years old and at that point regardless of what's happened unless there's been like some catastrophic injury or something uh the teams aren't going to renege on that agreement because then that's in bad faith you know by them so they still you know do the do the thing even though it's three years later so I don't know. The whole thing's just kind of, you know, like you said, it's corrupt. It's not good. Uh, but I don't have a solution. Uh, the the solution that was laid out in the collective bargaining didn't seem terrible to me. But uh, that's not my yeah. life. You know, my life's work or any of that. So <laughs> well, and the owners tied the the qualifying offer system to it, which is, you know, something that I've tweeted about that people. <clears throat> I don't know. Like a lot of people don't care about draft picks, obviously. And like, I understand that. Right. But it's not just a second round pick. Like my point with this is even like the Boris four, right? Like only three of them, it's Chapman and Snell and 
and Bellinger, and we don't have to worry about the White Sox signing any of these guys. So that, you know, that's fine. But like, it does really crater a guy's market. And what I mean by that is just like, if you think Cody Bellinger's worth six years and 150, is he also worth six and 150 if you have to give up the second rounder and 500K of international space, right? But then the problem with that is like, too, Boris, it's tough to get a pillow deal. So if you were to tell me, Ian, like, oh, well, you know, just sign them for one year for one year then and they can go back in the market. Nobody wants to give up a second round pick for a guy for one year. So it really hurts these guys. Like, I, I think a lot more of these guys should just take the qualifying offer, especially like like a Matt Chapman, who's great defensively at third. But he what he had like a 770 OPS. Like, yep. I don't know that that guy's ever going to have an 800 OPS again. Like, would you would you want your club to give him one hundred million dollars right now? Like, this isn't surprising to me at all that these guys aren't signed. Yeah, I would be hesitant to give it to uh, give a, a a long-term contract to a lot of these guys that are out on the on the market right now. Snell, uh, you know, um, Bellinger, Chapman, same thing. Like all three of those guys, I would be very hesitant to give. You know, we were talking earlier today about that Snell deal where he wants thirty million dollars a year over nine years. Like there yeah. is no way I would think yeah. about doing that. Well, you saw what did the Yankees offer? They offered like one fifth, like a Rodon type deal, like six yeah. one fifty, something like that. Like that seems about yeah. right. Like he's awesome, but he doesn't throw that many innings, and he's not great. Like you know, he's got that every other year thing. Yeah, I mean that's nuts. Like no, like even like Cody Bellinger and the Cubs know. Like and and the problem the Cubs have, and obviously like sorry everybody, like it's the you know the Future Sox podcast, but. Like, if I were a Cub fan, like, I'd be afraid of Bellinger because, like, for as good as I think Pete Crow Armstrong is, like, are you going to pay center field money to have Cody Bellinger play first base? I just, I, I, like, I know they don't want to lose him. I know they haven't done enough, but, like, I wouldn't be knocking down the door to give him a bunch of money either. No, me either. It just seems like there, there is, you know, with the hard hit contact percentage, uh, the hard hit percentage, it's, there's just so much risk there. And I know that they found uh, an issue with his swing about him getting too far out on his front leg and whatever, but I just, I don't trust it. It's certainly not enough to give him $200 million. So um, one of the other things that uh, Chris Getz was asked about, and this is kind of, uh, this is not minor league related, um, but it's still kind of fun uh, because he was asked about fans and people talking about the ties to Kansas city with almost every single hire that the white Sox have made. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw that audio on there and then we will discuss, you know, I understand, uh, that sentiment. Um, I do, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about, I get, you know, I spent two years there in the front office. Obviously I had my playing days. Um, there's been some front office members along the way. And obviously Pedro, uh, spent some time there. Um, but man, when we look at Josh Barfield and 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 Brian Bannister, Dan Mondry Cohen, um, you know, and, and various, you know, Paul Yanish and, and others, we've got you know diversity of thinking is very important. Um, there are you know there, there's also a built-in you know trust that you have with people that you worked with before, and really it's blending that all together. Um, you know, each organization is led by. You know, certainly you've got ownership, you've got a, a, a general manager, a president, what have you. And, you know, you shape the culture and direction you want to go. You find the people that 
um, you know, have the qualities that you feel like can fit and work towards what you're trying to accomplish. I don't really care where, where anyone comes from. It could be from the college ranks. Um, it could be outside of Major League Baseball in, in other sports. And certainly, um, you know, you grab individuals w- within our industry that can help you. Um, you know, you've got your, it's really about establishing who, who you are, what you want to be, and finding individuals that can carry that out and continue to, to develop them. So, yeah, everyone has their starter kit and, and their history, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an evolution. The game changes all the time. If you're not willing to adapt and be aware of what's going to be successful in this game, then you're going to be very limited. Um, but if you can find people that are open-minded, and, you know, perhaps they were working in organizations that, this was the direction, and they were troopers, and they were carrying it out a certain way, where you bring them in here with a different direction, fresh mindset, diversity of thought, and you evolve with them. So, um, yeah, it, it, makes it, it makes it fun uh, having people that you know or don't know and growing relationships, but it doesn't mean that we're, we're just stuck in our ways. We're, we're, uh, we've got a bright group, hardworking, uh, genuine people that, that I think understand what it takes uh, to connect with players, to grow them, to be the best players that they can be. Um, and that's the mindset. It really is, and regardless of where they come from. So I find that pretty interesting. I, I like the way that he put it. Everybody's got their starter kit, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an evolution. Um, we've all obviously taken notice that so many of the people have Kansas City Royals ties. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, obviously, it's very evident, and everybody talks about it, so... Everybody knows that. Um, what did you think about what he had to say about the Kansas City hirings? Well, so I do like, you know, he he said you kind of wrestle with what, like diversity of thought, but also you like want to bring people in that you trust. Like if, if there's like a job that you want to get done and like that resonates with me a little bit, just like, you know, like what I do with my day job, like I'm a special ed coordinator. Like if I'm ever in a position where like I'm hiring and firing you know, like, I think I'd probably be accused of the same thing. Like, I'm going to want to bring people in that, like, I can trust to, like, get the job done. So, like, I understand that. But it's just the problem that he has is that the White Sox have been so insular for so long. So it's good that it's outside, but it's also, like, outside from the same place. It's why I really, and we'll see what happens, right? But it does seem like Josh Barfield has a lot of influence and whether he's good or not, I don't know, right? But, like, he's yeah. from the Diamondbacks. There's not really Royals ties there. You know, he 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 brought in Grady Sizemore, and, you know, there's some other guys that are on the Barfield side. And then, look, you can, you can obviously tie Bannister to the Royals or to Tony La Russa or whatever, you know, a whole bunch of other spots, right? But, like, that's a good hire, I think, right? So the, it's not all Royals. It's going to be funny every time it's a Royal. Like, be, but... You know, like you have, like we talked a couple weeks ago, right? Like they, they got the Royals contract guy. Who cares? Like that, you know, like that's fine. Now, if you want to complain that like they got the Royals director of player personnel, cool. Like, you know, like you don't want, you'd, you'd rather have somebody else than Gene Watson. Totally mm. fair criticism, you know? So, so I get that part of it. Um, and then obviously I think, you know, like the, the manager, obviously, right? Like I, I don't think that Chris Getz thinks this is Mr. Long-Term White Sox manager. I think other people might disagree with that, um, but we'll see. I, I don't think it's just going to be like Royals forever, um, but I kind of understand it a little bit at the beginning, even if we don't like it that much. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he said uh, they obviously did ask him about Pedro as well. And I uh, some, said something along the lines of he's a very good communicator and, you know, he's somebody that uh, likes to improve and uh, is working diligently to get better. We will see. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of Pedroed out um, until he shows me something uh, and doesn't make exasperating decisions. Um, I'm just going to kind of never sacrifice a big league win for development, Ian. Uh, yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, super in a aggravating. totally in a totally lost season. Totally, totally meaningless. But let's go ahead and uh, worry about yeah. wins in a in a hundred loss season. Let's play Zach Remillard more <laughs> to try to win baseball games. All right. Yeah. So good. Um. All right. So, like we talked about earlier, uh, Fangraphs did drop their top twenty-seven uh, yeah. prospects. I do, I'm just why twenty-seven. That's what he, that's what he does. Know. Eric does twenty-seven. Yeah. And then okay. he write and then he writes about fifty more guys. You know, if your system's good enough. But yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, top twenty-seven. Um. So, um, one thing that I did was I took the Fangraphs top 27 because it is public knowledge anybody can find it and what i did was i cross-referenced it with the baseball america and i just made a little uh sheet here so i'm going to go ahead and bring that up on the screen here for everybody that is watching on youtube or twitch which is where you can find us on sunday nights at 8 p.m every week uh there is that so on the left you have the fan graphs ranking one through 27 and on the right you have the Baseball America ranking, which I feel, because of the way I did this right here, it's not giving up proprietary information because it is hard to figure out unless you take a screenshot of it and work it out yourself. So, um, largely, uh, the top 10, other than number 10, is is pretty much all close. Um, do you have any strong feelings on anything? Uh, let's go one through nine. Yeah. Oh, see, I was going to say, holy Alex Spee's Batman was the first thing I was going to say. As, we yeah, had we'll this, get to that. We had this guy dead to rights, Ian, and now he's throwing 103. We're idiots. Yeah, apparently. I, so, I, no, I, look, I, we talked about this. Like, I think your top seven guys are probably going to be the top seven guys everywhere, like in some order. I think we know one and two. One and two aren't changing. But there's some uh, diversity of thought. I'll use that again um, with with the rest of these guys, right? And then, you know, you have Cannon and Mena. I think the write-up on Ryan Burroughs was interesting. Um, they were They were very bullish just on the athletic profile, despite, like, maybe the raw stats not great. Um, but they think... You know, some of the things he did work out, like, well for him as a 19-year-old that should stay at shortstop and hit a little bit. So I thought it was interesting to see Burroughs up that high. Um, you know, Jonathan Cannon, for me, is safe, but, like, that's a back-end righty. I, I tend to lean towards a little bit more upside than that. So, you know, when my list comes out, if, you know, if, Peyton Paulette and Grant Taylor and those guys um, with a little bit more juice are right up near him. You know, just don't be surprised because that's kind of what I look for. But no, this I don't think this is terribly surprising. All right. So for you that are listening on the podcast version of this, 
Uh, rounding out the top 10, we have Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz leading off, obviously. Uh, Brian Ramos and Edgar Caro and Nick Nostrini are the rest of the top five. Uh, just kind of shuffle those guys in any order in three, four, and five. It seems like everybody has them in a different three, four, and five, uh, but they're all right there. Uh, six is Jake Eater. Seven is Jacob Gonzalez. Jonathan Cannon is number nine. Christian Mena is number eight. And jumping up to number 10 is Ryan Burroughs. Uh, Baseball America has him ranked as number 19. Uh, the complex leagues, uh, Stats that he had last season were not uh, anything that, you know, really, you know, stood out or would make you take notice. Um, But I'm going to, uh, you know, I have not personally gotten eyes on him yet other than like a couple of swings. So uh, I will defer to other people. And uh, I'm interested in seeing what he brings when I finally do get a chance to see him. Well, the one good thing, like Eric, like lives in in uh, Arizona, so he does see like a lot of instructional league. One thing I want to go back to before we continue, so Jacob Gonzalez, obviously the the White Sox had the uh, unfortunate tweet last week where, oh, you know, gosh. they they like unintentionally dumped on this kid for some reason. Brutal. And look, I think it's been well documented what you and I thought of this pick, right? But I, you know, I do think it's unfair to just like write him off totally. It's not what I would have done. It's not the level of upside I want in a first rounder, but like he's a prospect still, guys. Like this is and the fangraphs write up I thought was was interesting. It said that he was noticeably bigger. He's already like started to take to a, a bit of a swing change, which suggests to me that it's something the White Sox talked to him about and then they sent him to Canapolis and they were like, just do what you do, it's fine. Like we don't care about your numbers just to prove that we don't care about him. Like we're going to broadcast him to the world, even though it was an OPS of five, something my goodness gracious. But I guess like the only thing I would caution is like, you know, we've heard the negative. He's going to play shortstop at an affiliate, maybe even high a and, and just, just watch him. Like, we'll see. Like it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. I, I don't like reading too much into college players. First year stats. They were really bad. Reports weren't great. Um, but the instructs reports were a lot better. So if there's only one thing that you do with the Fangraphs write-up, read the Jacob Gonzalez write-up and just just bank it away somewhere <laughs> before like he goes out to an affiliate. Yeah, I, th- this is the thing that I always th- that I we talked about this uh, last week, but watching him last year, even at the at the Cannonballers. You know, I don't have a problem with him playing shortstop. I feel like his abilities as a shortstop and his ability to see what's coming before it's before it's coming to him, uh, I felt like he has a, a good sense of anticipation. So I didn't really have a problem with that. Uh, but what I did say is that I didn't see a whole lot out of the bat. And if you watch a bunch of his old – uh, his old swing from Old Miss and Team USA, you'll see that he tends to kind of fall out of the box, and that is not going to play 
you know, when you get these guys with these nasty breaking balls, he's just not going to be able to do that. So there has to be a swing change. Um, and you can say what you want about the decision to draft a guy that you feel like you absolutely have to completely change his swing mechanics as soon as he comes. I, like that to me blows my mind. But, um, you know, we'll see what see what happens. I mean, the bat to ball in college was fantastic despite goofy mechanics. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Well, yeah, and he's like he—he's clearly like played shortstop. He played shortstop for Team USA, like despite not being able to run, which mm-hmm. is crazy, right? So I think right away it's like it's kind of similar to the Colson Montgomery thing, right? It's he's too big to play shortstop. Now I think there's some evidence that maybe he's not the greatest shortstop, um, but I mean with uh gonzalez it's like well he's a 45 grade runner there's no way he can stay there even though like he he's never really given any indication that he can't right you know other than the raw foot speed yep all right so uh moving along to uh i mean since there's 27 i guess i could have done in batches of nine uh but uh number 11 (laughs) we we talked about this just a second ago Alex Spees, not rated by Baseball America at all. And if you look at his numbers, he had an, uh, with the Rangers, he had a 18K per nine just in three games that he was in. He did give up three runs as well. Um, but number 11 for Alex Spees. <laughs> what do yeah, you Yeah, like, do you. Do you know the backstory here? Because this is like a blind spot for me. So he was gone for. Does he have like an anxiety issue or something? Is that not fair? I I, I feel yeah. like there's something. Like he was out of baseball like for a while, and the and the Rangers just they're a good team. They ran out of forty man space, and they let a high upside guy go. I guess, and the White Sox are in position to claim him. I like I had always kind of knew that he had good stuff, but he he does have like a lot of fans in the scouting community. Um, so. It doesn't seem like he'll be like one of the first guys off the list. We were, uh, or off the forty man, I should say. So we, you know, we should probably rethink that one. I guess so. Um, I mean, I yeah. know that I, I always knew, like when they picked him up, I knew that he had nasty stuff. I just didn't know, like, what his deal was, you know, because mm-hmm. he he just kind of came out of nowhere and they picked him up, and I was like, okay, all right. And then he's on the forty man, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself. You know, is is that worth keeping? But I mean, you know, if he's throwing 103 and they can manage to harness that, then yes, obviously it would be worth keeping around. We'll see, though. Right. I think it's I think it's interesting too that he's right next to Jordan Leisure, who is a guy that I think a lot of people feel like maybe could be the White Sox eighth inning guy in Chicago this year. So you know, if he's similar to Jordan Leisure, like yeah, maybe I mean maybe Alex Bees is a guy that we need to keep an eye on. Apparently. Yeah, uh, so uh, I'll go ahead and go uh, 12 to 20 here. Uh, Jordan Leisure is at number 12, Peyton Paulette, Shane Drowen, Kai Bush, Calvin Harris, not rated on the Baseball America, but he comes in at number 16 from Fangrass, catcher out of Old Miss. Uh, Wilfred Veras at 17, George Wolkow at number 18, Grant Taylor at number 19 and number 20 is Sean Burke. Yeah. So I, I think that's more realistic for Burke. We kind of talked about that last time, just with the shoulder injury. That's probably closer to where I'll have him down yeah. around the twenties. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think Grant Taylor's being undersold a little bit, but look, he probably needs to pitch. I, I don't think it's out of the question that Grant Taylor gets back on a mound and he's 
10, you know, because of the upside there. But I mean, if this is, you know, people want to kind of slow play this, like I get it. Um, and then Wolkow, obviously, um, Baseball America has him much higher than Fangraphs, but I think Baseball America had him at like, as like 12. a top 60 player in the draft yeah. class, right? So yeah, that's why. I mean, right. Like they kind of carry over their draft rankings and they had him ranked like pretty highly in last year's draft class. I will say, I watched the combine, yeah, on uh, MLB Network. I know most people think that's insane that you would actually watch that, but I watched that and I watched George Wolkow when they had him on MLB Network and they were kind of highlighting his, uh, his outfield work mm-hmm. and showing his swing. And I, you know, I was bullish on him, you know, when I was watching him on the MLB combine. So the fact that we got him where we did and to see him at number 12 in baseball, America doesn't surprise me. Uh, 18, maybe, you know, I, I would bump him up a little bit higher uh, just because of the age, but I'm, and, and the potential, but uh, you know, I can't, I can't hate on number 18, I guess. I mean, it's still, you know, top 30. Yeah. You sp- split the difference and say that he's 15, right? That's, <laughs> and I think that's fine. I mean, I just think like, yeah, you're right. I mean, even like a million dollars for that guy is a gamble that's totally worth it. I mean, he might be nothing or he might take off and like it could be like one of the steals of the draft class. I mean, for, you know, like if you would have told me like they had to do it in round three and it was going to cost like two and a half million plus for George. I mean, that's like a little bit steep, right? But for a million dollars, I mean, that kid's willing to forego college and sign for a million bucks. Like great job on Mike Shirley, for Mike Shirley and that and his staff. hundred percent. Um, all right. So, uh, anything, uh, else stand out to you? Does the Calvin Harris at number 16, does that, uh, strike you as odd as he's not rated at all by Baseball America and he's at number 16. No, I mean, my guess is that, again, like Baseball America didn't have him ranked that highly like in their draft prep and I'm guessing Loggenhagen saw him in instructs and liked it and liked what he saw. And I mean, I know like Calvin Harris can swing it from both sides. I know he doesn't have a ton of experience at catcher. Um, But I mean, even, I mean, if he's, like a you know decent enough bat i mean he's a prospect because they just they don't have any catchers so yeah um i don't mind him being up there i just was surprised considering that you know you don't see him ranked you know that highly anywhere else so this was kind of a little bit shocking for me um so uh 21 through 27 uh number 21 comes to seth keener uh 22 is jacob burke number 23 is tanner mcdougall Javier Mogollon is at number 24. Maximo Martinez, not rated by Baseball America, comes in at number 25. Uh, At number 26 comes Eric Adler, also not rated by Baseball America. And then newly signed Eduardo Herrera comes in at number 27. He's ranked at number 24 by Baseball America. Anything of interest there? Yeah, I mean, Mogollon is uh, super interesting. I mean, you know, we'll see if we can get anything out of the Arizona League with him. This year, obviously, I mean, Jacob Burke plays like his hair is on fire, right? I think that guy's a double A. And, yeah, right. And, like, he's going to be a double A. So that's interesting. I know you're, you're a Tanner McDougal guy. We talked about him last time. Um, Loggenhagen ranked Maximo Martinez, I think. He didn't rank him, but he's written about him the last two cycles with the Dodgers. Um, so that's a guy that he kind of, 
likes. That's, you know, he was one of the guys, him and Aldrin Batista, the White Sox traded international bonus pool space for. And they're both two young, like real pitching prospects. So, you know, it wasn't like they traded that money for nothing. So the, those guys are interesting. And then Eric Adler, um, just another high leverage relief type that walked way too many guys in college that if he can command it in the minors, he'll, uh, he could be in the big leagues this year because there's really no reason to hold relievers back in the minors when you're horrible. So, Yeah, I know uh, guys like Beeflo say that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Uh, either you can get people out or you can't. So, uh, you know, if he can manage to uh, figure out his command, I have absolutely no problems with that. Um, yeah, Maximo Martinez, still an unknown entity for me. Haven't seen him. Uh, you know, haven't gotten my eyes on him. Uh, we did see Aldrin Batista pitch for yeah. the Cannonballers, and he looked pretty decent. Uh, looking forward to his second season. Yeah, Martinez um, has not left the complex, so I'm guessing he'll be in Canapolis um, to start, I would hope at least. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we didn't see much of Seth Keener either uh, last year. He just got a couple of uh, appearances, you know, as the season was winding down last year. Um, not really, you know, Tanner McDougal, you know my feelings on him. Love yeah. the love the makeup and the things that he can do. We'll see. Um, he uh, was not at uh, the uh, in Arizona recently for those, so uh, haven't heard anything about him yet. Uh, but we will see what he looks like coming to spring training. The um, interesting thing about Keener, he's another guy that through a lot of relief innings in college that they think can start. So my guess is there's some sort of innings cap. So we'll, you know, it's not, he's not coming off Tommy John, like some of these other guys, but I just don't know like how careful they're going to think that they need to be with a guy who they are very like confident can start, but just doesn't really have the innings base. Cause he pitched at wake forest and they used him out of the bullpen. Speaking of guys on innings limits and, uh, and, pitcher health in general did you happen to see that uh tweet i put out about uh norhe vera's workout routines yes best shape of his life yeah of course um like i said uh, if we see him healthy i'm interested yeah. to see what he can do um but at at the same time i don't know what yeah. to expect from him at all and he, he's completely dropped off of every list oh yeah um We'll see, I guess, what uh, what ends up coming of, you know, Norhe Vera. The, it looks so promising out of the gate, but two years in a row now where we haven't gotten much from him at all. So uh, we'll see. No, and his stuff, his stuff backed up, and he's been hurt, right? So me and Mike used to kind of talk about this all the time, and I'd like to ask you, like, at this point, do you think, like, you just salvaged the signing and – try to turn him into a short reliever or do you like let him keep starting even though he doesn't have the in it? Cause you would think, right? Like, okay, the stuff backed up a little bit and he's hurt a lot. Okay. Well, can you get like the high impact stuff back in shorter stints? Like, is that better? You know, like, Hey, maybe he could be a setup guy. Is that better than the dream of him being like a number two starter when he doesn't have that innings load? I don't know. I mean, I think you let guys start until they prove that they can't, but I mean, with him, it's what a one and a half million dollar signing out of Cuba. He's not super young still, so you know. I mean, maybe maybe that's a bullpen guy, and you get something out of him. I don't know. I'll be curious to see how they use him. Yeah, I don't know what to say one way or the other. I I'd say if 
she he shows the promise of being able to eat up multiple innings. Go ahead and give them to him, but you know if you don't feel that you know the development you know side of things, if if they don't feel yeah. that they can hand him the ball for you know if they feel that he's fragile why bother trying to even have him start you try and get something out of it at this point and i don't know whether it's going to be starting or whether it's going to be relieving but we will find out yeah so look i'll uh we when we do our top 30 at future socks i usually do a just missed where i go to 50 uh he'll probably be on that so you know uh, <laughs> at least he'll make some 30, list 30 31 to 50 somewhere in there. So, you know, and Southside Sox does like a top 100 prospects thing somehow. And I, you know, I always like joke with Brett Ballantini, like, how do you guys go to 100? Like nobody knows who any of these guys are. I'm sure he'll make that one too. Yeah, he'll make that one. I mean, there's no uh, top 100. There's no way he can't make that list because there's only four teams. And uh, I know AAA usually has a bunch of 30 year olds on it. So uh, they're not going to be on the top list. So. Uh, you got anything else for this week? No, nothing immediate other than, I mean, the, so the Dylan C stuff, I think, was a little mm. bit interesting. Um, look, I feel like we're just going to keep talking about Dylan Cease, uh, right? Yeah. The the thing that I found interesting, so Bruce Levine, obviously, and, and there's context here, right? Like, I've done my fair share of beating up on Bruce Levine over the years um, for stuff that I thought was questionable that he's saying as like the you know the main baseball insider for the the radio station okay but bruce levine is super tight with white Sox uh director of player personnel gene watson he's always kind of known jerry reinsdorf a little bit so when bruce levine says there's a zero percent chance that dylan cease is making the opening day start for the white Sox, you know i kind of listen to that i, I think that's a little bit interesting because th- this stuff's tough to read you see john Heyman and all these other people that say you know like the White Sox can't connect with the Yankees and the Orioles because they're, you know, the prospect cost and whatever, right? You never know how to read that stuff and what it actually means. Um, so I don't know. But then Bob Nightingale comes out today and says that the Mariners and White Sox are in talks for Cease. So how serious is that? I, I don't know. But that's another team into the Derby. I do like that it's Seattle, not necessarily because I love that system, but because Trader Jerry, baby, you need mm-hmm. one of these GMs that's not afraid to make a deal. And Jerry DePoto might be that person. Yeah, between uh, the Mariners and the Phillies, there's always a chance that there can be a major deal <laughs> yeah, with yeah. a bunch of prospects attached to it. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, Jerry DePoto loves to wheel and deal. So uh, we'll see. I mean, if he's willing to give up a decent amount of stuff that's relatively close and some stuff that might have some promise in the future as yeah. well. I don't see why it couldn't happen, uh, but it is not the Orioles. And, uh, you know, so all those guys that, yeah. you know, the, the the five names that everybody's learned, you know, over yeah, the last three months are going to be useless. So Mike Elias is keeping them all, even though they're all 25 year, whatever. I don't know. It's crazy, but 25 year ha- old middle infielders. Do you, yeah. Do you have, do you have a, like a preference? Have you watched West coast Seattle Mariners baseball? It, it said specifically what Bryce Miller and Brian Wu Wu's younger, but they you're not going to get good. both right. Yeah. No, so, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they were both pretty good and they both have six years of control. So I think one of them plus some prospects, like I, I think makes, Makes some sense. So we'll see. And, you know, I guess it 
people some people asked why it made sense for Seattle. I think just what having Luis Castillo and Kirby and Cease like in the front of your rotation, like if your offense isn't great, like makes some sense for them, right? So yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. Um because we've been doing this Mike Elias thing this whole offseason where it's like this guy's just like not gonna pull the trigger on a trade and the Yankees aren't in a great spot to trade their top guys. So yeah, I mean this might be the the lifeline that we needed. We'll see if Bruce Levine's right. And uh Dylan Cease gets moved before opening day. But I think at this point, like if we had to bet, like I I'm just gonna assume he's here at this point because it's it's pretty late and there's a lot of free agents available still. Yep. Uh yeah, I mean I could see a couple of guys coming. I don't I don't get to watch a ton of PCL baseball, so uh, I don't get to see a bunch of the older guys. Plus, uh, you know, they play. I think they're in the Texas League for their uh, for their younger guys, so I don't get to watch a whole lot of that. But what I do know is that you know, if you're going to get you know a Cole Young or a Wu, uh, you're definitely not getting Harry Ford from them. Um, they are not letting him walk, and I kind of doubt that they're also letting Cole Emerson walk either. Um, yeah. you're either going to get he's, young I or Emerson. Top, I think Emerson's like a top 50 prospect in baseball by midseason. It's if he's possible. Not, like what, yeah. what is he right now? He was awesome it, out of high school um, last year. So, you know, so, but I do think like looking at their list, there's a couple of recent international signings, you know, there's like, um, the outfielder Gonzalez. Um, so look, they have some names. I know Dominic Canzoni is one of their, big league outfielders um that is probably familiar with josh barfield i would or familiar to josh barfield so you know it might not be all prospects i would think though with names out there if it happens it'll be fairly soon otherwise it's probably not going to happen because whenever you see names like this you know it's it's usually either something that happens quickly or doesn't happen at all, as was evidenced with like those Cincinnati Reds talks and rumors where all those names were dumped in and then it just kind of didn't happen. And then it fizzled. Yeah, I, I would see uh, Gabriel Gonzalez definitely yeah. trying to be a, a part of that deal for for the White Sox side, but then again, he's you know advanced A, so you know he'll probably be starting a Double A this year. Um, I don't know if that's going to be close enough for uh, for Getz, but I mean. Hopefully, this is one thing that I have had kind of a an issue with of people arguing that the White Sox need to get somebody that is major league ready right now. And I'm of the opinion that they need to get the highest upside available. I don't know. You know, obviously, I don't want them to be rookie ball or uh, a ball, but, um, you know, double A works for me. So, yeah, totally agree. And I thought. And look, I don't, I just, you know, when they, like, you've seen the people that are like, oh, they're targeting pitching in return, right? Like, I, I don't even think that's necessarily true. They just, I think he has, I think he wants two premium prospects of what he deems, and who knows, that could be anything. We could go out for days about what that means, right? And then probably two other pieces, one interesting, one maybe not in like a four for one. And, you know, we've seen these trades before, right? So I think when somebody meets it, they'll make the deal. Um and uh, yeah, I'm I'm afraid of Dylan C starting the season, but you know it's not the worst case scenario taking him to the trade deadline. Yeah, no, I'd be fine with it. Uh, so, are you looking forward to a San Francisco 49ers Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl? As we have found out that that is what yeah. we are looking at. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. Patrick Mahomes is absolutely insane. 
Like just yeah. like looking at the numbers and and ob- obviously, right? Like duh. But I mean, he's like 14 and 3 in the playoffs and he's like been in the league for like what, 7 years? He's six AFC title games. It's just absurd. Like even like the I I heard today like all the sharp betters, right, were on the Ravens because the Ravens were like a top five DVOA team like of all time. And I'm just like, you're going to give me Patrick Mahomes and points. Like, it's just, it just seems, ins- it seemed insane then. And, you know, it seems even crazier now. I, that was uh, one heck of an epic collapse by the Ravens. I, I don't think I've ever seen, uh, there was one down where, uh, just running around in the backfield with the ball. It, I, I'm just Lamar Jackson. Uh, it's just running around in the backfield in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, are you going to throw it? Are you going to run? Are you going to do something with it? He was literally behind the line of scrimmage for like 15 seconds and then ended up getting sacked for like four yard loss. I still ended up getting the first down, but I, what an awful epic collapse that was. And um, I did not enjoy that very much at all. I don't care about, uh, Taylor Swift, yes, even she's making it her way onto this podcast slash stream. I have uh, no worries about uh, about her being there at all, uh, but I did want to see somebody different other than the Chiefs. And uh, but I'm still happy that Detroit lost. They can <laughs> they can go go somewhere else. I don't want to see anything from Detroit on any championship game. <laughs> and I think I think they're going to lose their offensive coordinator here in about two days too. So, oh well. Entirely possible. Um, futuresocks.net, you can find all the written content. You can find this stream over there on a widget. Uh, you can also find this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can find this on twitch.tv uh, backslash futuresocks. Um, you can find all of our uh, videos on YouTube as well. Uh, Future Socks on Twitter. Uh, my name is Ian Eskridge at Daily White Socks on Twitter. Uh, my co-host, James Fox, on the other side, James Fox 917 And uh, we thank you guys so much for coming and hanging out with us. We thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you all. Until next week, we'll see you guys next week at Sunday uh, at 8 o'clock on Sunday next week. And you have a great night, and we will talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye.